Chinese medicine, the web that has no river. Page hundred and seventy-one, chapter six, the four examinations, signs and symptoms, and Aristotle and Lao Tzu revisited. The first five chapters discuss the vocabulary and ideas behind the Chinese weaving of patterns. Now the theories of fundamental textures, organs, meridians, and pernicious influences must become concrete. How do these ideas work when they are applied to a specific patient? How do they enable a physician to perceive a pattern of disharmony? What does a doctor look for? And how are the more important clues distinguished from the less important? How does a doctor begin to deal with all the signs and symptoms a patient presents? In this chapter, we will follow the procedure a novice physician uses with a patient. We will see the way Chinese physicians examine patients, what they look for, how they judge the significance of what they see. How they interpret the signs and symptoms, these pieces, the stones, mountains, mist, and pebbles of the landscape, can include a wide range of data, physical frame, style of movement, pain, mood, pulse, and many other signs. When these bits and pieces of information are put together, they create the image of disharmony. In chapter nine. We will examine an alternative method that is related to how a seasoned and veteran physician might work. But the very process of examining the pieces of a pattern poses a problem. What do we make of a piece in a system that say that only the whole can determine the meaning of the piece? Before we go on to the examinations, therefore, we should look again at the philosophy that informs Chinese medicine. So that our customary Western viewpoint will not interfere with our understanding. As had been said, Chinese philosophy and medicine are based on Taoist consciousness and on Yin-Yang theory, which imply a world view very different from that of the West. The Chinese can never produce an Aristotelian, and would be hard pressed to accept Aristotle's famous law of contradiction. There is a principle in things about which we cannot be deceived, but must always, on the contrary, recognize the truth, viz., that the same thing cannot at once and at the same time be at not be, or admit any other similar pair of opposites. This principle that A cannot be not A became the cornerstone of all Western logic. Yet little trace of it can be found in either Taoist thought or Chinese medical writings. A very different spirit informs that the Chinese view of knowledge and being. Lao Tzu, the earliest Taoist sage, formulated this understanding of the nature of reality. To be bent is to become straight. To be empty is to be full. To be worn. Out,、uh, to be worn out as to be renewed, to have little as to possess. Chen Tzu, the Taoist philosopher, says, "When there is life, there is death, and when there is death, there is life."
when there is possibility, there is impossibility. And when there is impossibility, there is possibility. Because of the right, there is wrong. And because of the wrong, there is right. The this is also that. The that is also the this. Is there really a distinction between that and this? When this and that have no opposites, there is a very axis of tau. Change and transformation are the only constants for the Chinese things,、uh, which is a and not a, this and that, can simultaneously be and not be. In and yang produce each other, imply each other, and finally are each other. There was at least one pre Socratic Western philosopher, Heraclitus, who seems to have developed a view of the universe comparable to that of the Taoists. The fragments of his writings that have come down to us set forth his ideas. The attunement of the world is of opposite tensions, as is that of the harp and bow. The road,、uh, the road up and the road down is one and the same. The beginning and end are common. That which is at various、uh, variance with itself agrees with itself. Cold things become warm, warmth cools, moisture dries, the parched get wet. It scatters and gathers, it comes and goes. This Heraclitus. That this Heraclitian notion of primitive flux is very close to that of the Tao, but Heraclitus represents only one skin of Western thought. The dominant ideas were those of Aristotle and his followers, for whom the primary consideration was how things emerge from such flux and achieve distinct existence. The flux had to be differentiated. Curved into distinct categories before that there could be reality as Aristotle conceived it. The Aristotelian emphasis on form derives from this concern. The Chinese, however, never thought of the Tao or flux as a vicious undertow from which things must、uh, fight free and distinguish themselves. To them, The flux is a vast harmony that embraces all things. They do not ask of entity how well it measures up to the pure form prescribed for it, but rather what is its relationship to other entities. It is not important or even necessary that every entity attain pure form, but it is important that every entity have a place in that overarching. Over, overarching pattern of existence. In the 19th century, Hegel finally confronted and denied, denied Aristotle's law of contra- contradiction, and developed the theory that has come, that come to be known as He- Hegelian dialectics. For Hegel, the intricacies of relationships override the Aristotelian concern. That A not be cons- confused with not A. A can, in fact, be other than A, depending on its place in an overall schema.
These ideas are also similar. These ideas are so similar to those of Chinese philosophy that Hegelian and Chinese thought have often been compared. But Chinese and Taoist philosophy are not exactly the same as Hegelian dialectics. The Chinese, for example, never elaborated their intu intuition of the dialectical process into a philosophy of reason as Hegel did. They went no farther than to make simple refinements in Ninian theory. They never tried to tame the elusive and changeable qualities of the Tao. The word Tao, although sometimes translated as the way, cannot really be translated into satisfactory English, and even its meaning in Chinese frustrates the attempt to pin it down. The Tao that can be told of is not the Tao. The name that can be named is not the constant name. And so the Chinese have developed ways of alluding to the Tao in aphorisms, parables, and tales that are more like poetry than like the systematic presentations of Western thought. But the Tao is not poetry either. To see it as such as such is also to lose it. The Tao, as an ultimate reality, can be apprehended in medicine, for instance, but that apprehension has to take place within the context of a flux, interconnect, uh, interconnectedness, and dynamism. The Tao comes to stand for something that does not deny reason, but always manages to remain just outside its grasp. The Chinese emphasis on interconnectedness and change takes on a very specific character in the context of medicine. When the young, uh, when the young Chinese physician examines a patient, he or she plans to look at many, many signs and symptoms and to make of, a, uh, make of them a diagnosis to see in them a pattern. Each sign means nothing by itself and acquires meaning only in its relationship to the patient's other signs. What it means in one context is not necessarily what it means in another context. When statements are made in this chapter, therefore, they are always modified by the word usually. This is because no statement is going to be specifically true and applicable in every case. In the landscape, a painting, a mountain usually denotes young because it is big and hard, but in a picture that focuses on an ocean, mountains may appear in the distance, thus denoting in, because they are relatively small and passive. The meaning of the mountains is determined by the context. The same is true of the body. A rapid pulse, for example, is considered a sign of heat. The correspondence between rapid pulse and heat is about as rigid a correspondence as can be found in Chinese medicine. Yet, there are cases in which even a rapid pulse can have a different or opposite meaning. A patient may be lying listlessly in bed, covered by many blankets. He is short of breath, his face is pale, and his body is puffy. He has no appetite, 
His toes aren't watery, and he has a pale, moist, swollen tongue. These symptoms make up a pattern of deficiency called disharmony, a yin dis disharmony, even though his pulse is 120 beats per minute. In this case, the abnormally fast pulse, usually a sign of extreme heat or yang, signifies extreme weakness or in. A is usually A, but sometimes is not A. In Chinese medicine, as in Chinese philosophy, one cannot understand the whole until one knows the parts and cannot understand the parts without knowing the whole. Learning a detail, A, for instance, is not worth much until the full circle of Chinese medicine has been traveled, at which time A will show itself to be rich and useful. The part can only be known when the whole is apparent. This, dialect, this dialectic, this circularity, is a kind of catch. But it's not. Uh, but it's also a central aspect of the medicine's art artistry. The Chinese interplay, the Chinese interplay of whole and parts, does not lend itself to book-like elucidation. The sequential, uh, linear book form can only attempt to approach the intricacies of the Chinese system. But the nature of that difficulty at least, can be made explicit. The Chinese resistance to revealing fixed or essential forms has another implication that is worth nothing. Noting. The word diagnosis is sometimes used in this book as a convenience for the reader. As we have said before, so Chinese medicine, Pattern is better translation because it, it has an important implication. For the Chinese, a pattern or diagnosis is mainly an emblematic category that allows for an exchange of words. It's not meant as a label for people. It has no existence as an abstract truth that exists independent of the patient. As a Anthropologist Judith Frakuhar has noted in other domains of Chinese medicine, such statements function as allegorical um, function as allegorical resources for clinical thinking. The pattern description has meaning in practice, not as a fixed ont ontolo ontological entity. As a medical scholar, author Kleinman has described. They are a series attempt to codify complex, subtle, interactive views of experience into the uh, therapeutic formulations that claim contextual rather uh, that claim contextual rather than categorical application. They are tentative, meant to be test meant to be tested in practice. The Chinese physician rely uh, realizes that they are a limited attempt to capture what is necessarily intangible. Before reading the rest of the chapter, the reader, especially the casual one, should be alert to another potential problem. The rest of this chapter assigns a common interpretation to representative pieces of the human terrain. 
For some general readers, these descriptions may be te tedious. It's worth knowing that it's not necessary to retain or memorize any of the details. One can just skim the information in this chapter and still easily follow the rest of the book's attempt to explain pattern perception.